Welcome to the World of Horror Podcast, Episode 88. I'm Mom. And I'm Mac. This is the podcast where we share our love of international horror. Fear is universal, but we are not afraid of subtitles. <laughs> Looks at my face, laughs. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. What? Do what? Wallace! Oh, oh, I always forget. <laughs> it's fine. This week, my genre pick is based on a true story movies. We reviewed the Snowtown murders from Australia and Sacrament from the U.S. Before we get into it, fair warning, these discussions will include spoilers and language, which may not be suitable for all listeners. to our first segment mom and mac chat hi mac how's it going it's going okay i uh have been at my new job which is good but i'm having some some uh unexpected cons to working from home i think Mm -hmm. and it's nothing to i still like working from home but my manager is an older woman who does not, you know, I feel like when I was talking to a lot of uh, my friends, they all knew what I was talking about. Sometimes older people, the way that they text makes it seem like they're mad at you. Yeah. Like just being like, yeah, got it. (laughs) Cause like if, if I texted a friend like that, they'd be like, what's wrong. (laughs) So the way she like, she only like talks to me through teams and It'll just be like, this came in, do it. (laughs) She, when I finish it, she won't be like, good job. (laughs) Like, she won't even say that. She'll just be like, I'll say, I did this. And then she'll be like, okay, this is in. (laughs) And I messed up a bunch of times today. I didn't realize that I did. But one of the things that happened was she sent me this Word document of directions. She was like, just follow these directions and do what's in there. And I was like, sure. And then at one point she messages me and she's like, follow the directions I gave you. And I was like, I am. <laughs> like I, I, And it's so weird when you get a message like that because like, what am I to say? I was like, yep, I know I am. <laughs> and she said, like, no, like, you know, you were supposed to post this before this. So then I closed the directions file and open it again. She updated it after oh. she sent it to me. And I was like. So I didn't like, how was I to know that you did this? But that was like the second thing that had got, cause for, I had to send out all these reports this morning and then just these floods of emails came in. Are you sure this data is correct? It doesn't look right. It, and I was like, God. <laughs> so then, you know, had to look at it and it was just a copy paste error, but I don't like, when you make a mistake like that and you have to respond to all these people, I just was like, fuck, 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 you know? That's the first time something like that has happened at this job. And I, like, I I knew they weren't going to do anything, but just in, the first thing I think is like, well, I'm fired. <laughs> I'm done <Yeah>. for. <laughs> Blacklisted. <laughs> it oh. won't, be, won't be long before I have no money. <laughs> it's like, not, not true. <laughs> Have you gotten paid yet? Yes. Oh, that's good. And it's nice. So 
I don't want to yeah. lose that. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> like I looked at my bank account today and I was like, Happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. I really thought I was going to get fired from my current job after I posted something a student said verbatim on my Facebook page. <laughs> and it was because so, it was so absurd. I couldn't believe this person said it. It was yeah. like, I could write the paper that you assigned, but I feel like I understand it. So <laughs> is that okay? And I was like, what? <laughs> God forbid I ask, you know, a student to respond yeah. to the prompt. Oh, no. So I apparently, at that time, my Facebook profile was public. Oh, no. And as it, as it became known to me, a relative of this student was quite upset. Oh. And um, I guess the student had, like, maybe some, maybe some difficulties, shall we say? And anyway... He ended up dropping the class, but I, so I got a call from my, my immediate supervisor after my big boss had called me in to say, please put your Facebook profile to private and don't ever do this again, you know? And I was yeah. just like, oh my fucking God, you know, it was like the first year I was there, first couple months probably. So then my direct supervisor called me, I'm like, do I still have a job? She's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> job? What are you talking about? <laughs> she's like there is this thing called freedom of speech you know but i was just like i know but i mean people were so upset i feel like logistically i i always forget about this too of just like they don't want to do more work like no to fire you like like i mean at least at my last job it seemed like it was you had to really do something to get fired because their most useless people were there and i would name them like name them and be like this person i was like great person love them useless um let me show you proof of how much they don't do and still there so to me i'm like it must take a lot to get fired oh this is so exciting mac so next week two classes we're gonna do race and we're gonna do gender and then the next week we're gonna talk about the final assignment Oh, yeah, Thanksgiving. And then they come back and do their final ex- assignments. And then we're pretty much done. Nice. I'm so excited. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Are you going to, what are you going to do with your, your free time? Pack. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> guess what, Mac? What? I'm buying a house. Woo! That is so exciting. And not <laughs> only is it a house, it's like a beautiful house. It's pretty great. It has a catio. Has a catio, like, which, like it's only like the only uh, only thing it could have had that would have made it like mwah, perfect mm-hmm. is the fireplace. But you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can't have everything, and the catio is more important than a fireplace. And it has a basement, a fucking finished basement. Ooh, get the fuck I've out! I've never so even I can, like seen one. <laughs> So I can work out, I can do my art downstairs, and then upstairs I can have a guest room and a podcasting office space. Luxury. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I'm so excited. Like, I'm so excited to see it and uh, stay in it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. 
it cuts my commute time about in half. Nice. Yeah. So the uh, I went on the house inspection today. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And I started to freak out because I'm just like, oh, water damage? What? <laughs> <laughs> Electrical issues? What? Oh. So it's a it's a house from 1963. And oh. these people have... That's done okay, but there are some things that are going to need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like texting Mr. C and I'm just like, I'm freaking out. Like, <laughs> I'm just sending him pictures, you know. He's like, well, there are always problems. Everything can be fixed. Don't worry about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, if you still want it, you know, I'll work with you and I'll help you fix everything. So I'm just like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how's your day going? He's like, well, I'm in the middle of a job interview. <laughs> What? <laughs> like, what? I had sent him like five like texts already. He like answered them. How was he in like, a job interview? Like what? Well, I wasn't really in a job interview. He had taken an assessment and he was waiting to be interviewed. Oh. But I'm just like, why are you answering my texts? <laughs> like, what? He goes, oh, my pleasure. I'm like, he is so nice. So that was great. Very tiring though. And we're recording on... I don't even think we've ever recorded on a Thursday. This is insane. Well, maybe ever. But, I mean, our usual recording day is Sunday. We couldn't record this Sunday because I was sick. So Feeling better? Yes. Good. I basically slept. I had a bunch of fever dreams. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Got that all out of my system. (laughs) Why do our brains do that, though? I don't. I mean, everybody knows what I mean when I say fever dream. I mean, yeah. What what is that? I think I think the only time I've ever maybe had sleep paralysis is like I yeah. just remember like one time having the worst nightmare like as a kid when I had like the flu, but it felt like part of it I was awake and just laying down and like looking up in my bed. But I just remember being like, "Man, this flu just sent me to another dimension." Hell. Well, Mac, I have another question for you. Sure. <laughs> or your favorite watches from October. Well, Mom, I'm so glad you asked. I actually <laughs> watched so many movies this October, um, which m- makes sense. Um, Got to give a big shout out to, and this is going to be way off uh, from this genre, but the there is a movie that they did of a small episode arc, like small series of episodes of One Piece that I showed because One Piece, this anime Alan and I are watching, we're on episode 500 and there's over 1,000 and we love it very much. So I can't just get a friend into it, but this took one of my favorite arcs and I could show it to my friend Ren um, and it was really good. Shout Hi, out Ren. to that. Hi, Ren. Um, Pearl, also <laughs> really good. Saw it with yeah. you. Amazing. And... Last shout out I will give to is Deadstream because I thought it was really good. And I, I've seen that thing done a lot of streamer, you know, investigating a ghost story. But I think that was really fun. I liked it a lot. You don't have to limit yourself to three. Oh. And also, if you have a, a dishonorable mention, I love it when you give Ooh, those. I got you. I got. Okay, I do. Um, dishonorable mention goes to... Uh, creep that movie with um Mr. Duplass. Must, I what? Listen, 
I watched. Hey. I had watched it when I was younger, and then I watched it with Dad recently, and um. <laughs> Maybe like, you shouldn't watch it with your dad. No, I think he could have been like. I think I ruined it for everybody because I was like, "This sucks." I was like, "Boo!" Come on, I don't think it's a good movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just a bunch of like when you look at it again, it's a bunch of him just jumping up at the camera and screaming. <coughs> sorry, I gotta mute myself for a second. And. uh yeah, I watching it over again. I was like, not not a fan. But then let me give another shout out to Slaughterhouse Rules. If y'all have heard of this, it has uh, our good good friend, a friend of the show, Simon Pegg, um, <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Sheen, <gasps> beloved of this of the podcast. Love him. One of my very husbands. He is just, and he's excellent in it. He's he's just kind of like an evil headmaster, and it's okay. it's great. I'm I'm here for that. You should see this movie, Slaughterhouse Rules. An illustrious British boarding school becomes a bloody battleground when a, a bloody battleground when a mysterious sinkhole appears at a nearby fracking site, unleashing unspeakable horror. And it also has um, Nick Frost, of course. Th- those are the the big players. I wanted to shout out, shout out the whole Criterion collection of eighties films. I watched almost all of them. I think there were thirty. There were like thirty four, and I wa- I had seen like maybe nine of them, and then I watched maybe seventeen more. Wow. Some I did not finish, so I didn't. I can't say that I finished the whole thing, but I really, really liked Dead and Buried. Mm-hmm. That's a fucked up film. Road Games, which is super fun. It's uh, Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis, but it's in Australia. Oh. So good. The Fan, which is a Lauren Bacall film Mm. about, like, you know, a fan. And then there's also another Australian film, which Stefan, a friend of the show, had told me about a long time ago, Next of Kin. It has... John Jarrett in it, King, <laughs> obviously. King Jarrett. It takes place. It takes place at basically an old folks' home. Oh, so oh man, it's so good. <laughs> I I don't know if this is a dis. Well, for me, it's a dishonorable mention. I did not care for this film. Speak no evil. Did not. Did not like it. You said you shut it off. Oh yes, was not <laughs> a fan personally yeah well mm, i watched the whole bloody thing and i got real strong wolf creek vibes mm. on and then i'm just gonna ruin it do it so put stick your fingers in your ear and go la 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 if you don't want to know the ending but um they stone the two people like they kill them with stones oh my god after they abduct their child and cut her tongue out. Oh. And the whole, like, Wolf Creek vibes is that that's what they do. Like, Great. That's what they do. They just, like, seduce a couple, kidnap the kid, make the kid a mute, kill the couple, nah, 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 repeat the cycle. I'm just like, oh, my God. But 
If I were 16, I probably would fucking love that. It just see like movies like that very similarly honestly to funny games. I'm just kind of like, what yes. what was the point? Cuz I do feel like while Snowtown Murders is a very like hard to watch movie and I wouldn't even say I enjoyed it. I do like everything it's saying and I do feel like it's saying a lot. Um yes. which is why I'm excited to talk about it. But it's like a movie like that. It's like, what do you? This would be fucked up. Yeah, it is. And yeah, that's basically <laughs> that's that's basically what it is. There's a little bit about it that's like polite, like like I, I and I do kind of like that. Like in the beginning, you know, there's this couple. Yeah, you know, they like each, the other couple, and then things start to get a little weird it's and uncomfortable. What I never get with these fucking the, what. Because kind of what killed it for me is, like, they – there's so many red flags before the biggest red flags appeared that I'm, like, I would have been gone so fast. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you have a kid with you, like, your child, um, and if you, – you know, your respective partner who you love, like – Get out of there. What what you don't know these people? Like it doesn't matter. You can say the meanest shit to them and it will never like it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, I just don't. couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, so you deserve it. And I I is that the point of the movie that if you're if you're like so clueless and and you ignore your instincts so much that you deserve to be stoned to death? Yeah, and your kids stolen and tongue cut out that's horrible it's really bad i mean it's not i think some of some of it's beautiful yeah you know like 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 the photography is beautiful but i'm but yeah like you i'm just like what is the fucking point i don't and it's not fun like <laughs> no it's not fun there's plenty of horror movies where there is no point except i have a ton of fun and i enjoy it but speaking of snowtown murders should we get into it yeah Okay, so The Snowtown Murders, the brief plot summary from IMDb says, Based on true events, 16-year-old Jamie falls in with his mother's new boyfriend and his crowd of self-appointed neighborhood watchmen, a relationship that leads to a spree of torture and murder. I There were many times that I realized that, like, there's many scenes I've seen before. I feel like I've started and stopped this movie so often because it's just like not pleasant to get through mm. but i'm really glad that i finished it but this was the first time i'd ever finished it all the way through i'd seen it all the way through once before and it was one where i said i'm never ever watching this ever again yeah and i i don't know the name of the podcast but i think it's something like once and never again or something and <laughs> Perfect. They, they, yeah but uh i would watch this again i think i, mean, I would now i really for, i don't yeah. know like i really was paying very close i was trying to pay very close attention to it and there's so much like subtle there's so much like significant imagery that they put in there that is just so good where i was it's, like oh, they're calling yeah. back to this thing and they're like, ah. <laughs> and I just feel um, like this movie's very 
while it is unpleasant to watch, like kind of especially as like a person, a part of the LGBT community, it is like, I, f- I feel like anybody who maybe, I-, I guess this is such a prevalent thing. This, like, especially now, I feel like it's, uh, and I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but just, I feel like this movie is very prevalent. And if you want to tap, if you are curious about maybe what people in the, people in, and honestly, any minority community who would face violence, like, the fear they feel, like, that's how I felt the entire time watching this, because it feels so real. And it is. It was. This movie was directed by Justin Kurzel. And the screenplay was by Sean Grant. And those two also just made a movie last year called Neutrum, which is based on the guy who committed the 1996 murders in Port Arthur. There was a mass shooting in this place in 1996, and the government was like, okay, we need everybody's fucking guns. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to tolerate this shit. Yeah. And, like, they haven't had any, you know, mass shooting since. Even though it says at the end of that movie, no, you know, no state has ever been in fully in compliance. And there are more guns mm. now than there were in 1996. But yet still. Yeah. No shooting. Anyway. So, but those those two cats are behind that movie. That's really good. It's got um, Caleb Landry, who oh. was in, you know him? Yeah, he was in X-Men First Class. Okay, he's also in Get Out. Yes. And Antiviral, which I couldn't get through. I watched it and my it was a while ago and my end thought was that was bad. But with Caleb Landry, he's such a funny guy to me because I'm all I was telling I was like um texting with Quinn during this whole thing. I'm like, well first of all, I think he's beautiful, ugly. <laughs> well, he's a ginger. So for, so already, for me, that's already Yeah. But I said he's sort of like um, Philip Seymour Hoffman like that. Ooh. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman's like beautiful, ugly. Yeah, like he. And, there's something about like you. Your charisma and your bravado can overcome any. Uh, listen, oh, yeah. Everybody out there, if you're a little ugly, just, <laughs> just. <laughs> I I think I'm beautiful, ugly. I don't. I feel I like any not- technically anybody to me who isn't a part of the like rigid beauty standard that is bad. Like not like no offense to those like. I feel like my life is better because I'm not um, an insanely beautiful person. You know, I used to know this guy who was insanely beautiful. I mean, he still is, but he's just the 50-year-old version of that. And I knew him, like, when we were in our early 20s, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was just so beautiful that it was a problem for him. I think it's a problem for a lot of people. Like, I had a friend in high school who... Shout out to Todd Brown. I don't, I'm sure he doesn't listen to the fuck. <laughs> but what What if? He'll be like, what if he does? <gasps> That's me. She said my name. I had this friend in high school who is very tall. She's just very naturally like super thin. and Kitty? Not Kitty. She was buff. Um, oh, but But wow, this girl. Kitty. Yeah, she, she was just very like, but she just had this very like hipster girl, like could could have been an urban outfitters model and every single boy that she had ever dated was like the worst man on this planet like that was the only kind of man she attracted and i think it's because she was so like beautiful that 
I think it is true that people who might be nicer, but maybe feel like they would be not in your league, will just never approach you. Right. Yeah. And so then only the assholes. I had an Italian teacher who was like, I mean, supernaturally beautiful. And I had a crush on him. Honestly, his looks were not the most important thing to me. The fact that he was like really good at languages, like he knew French and Italian and wow. he'd been to Italy. And I was just like, ah. um, but he was so beautiful and he was like six, four and whatever. And I'm not. So I was just like, I could never date him. Mm-hmm. And well, he missed out. So that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> it's true. But okay. Back to. Yes. Snowtown. It stars Daniel Henshaw, Lucas Pitaway, and Louise Harris. The release date is the 19th of May, 2011, and it has a running time of 120 minutes, and I watched it on AMC+. I watched it on Tubi. You did with commercials? Yes, but... I thought about it. I love Tubi. I'm a big Tubi fan. I'm a Tubi fan, too, but I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this... I mean, I almost did want to watch it with commercials just to have a break. Yes. I will, like, I would just mute, mute, and I would just be like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a lot. So, full disclosure, I just copied the plot from Wikipedia, which I do not normally do, but I didn't want to watch it again and go, like, scene by scene. Yeah. It's, I just watched but, it today, so I will have I've got oh, a wow. lot in my brain. And I just want to say before we go any further, we don't normally do trigger warnings on the show, but the story, if you're unfamiliar with it, involves the molestation of children and the rape uh, by one of the children by a family member and very intense homophobia. Um, and transphobia and transphobia um yeah definitely not for the faint of heart no it's a tough watch yes i mean i don't think there's any way around it like um i multiple times tried to finish it and this is the only time i've ever accomplished that but i will say after you go through it not that you get desensitized but i think it is a very well-made movie and that the appreciation of that after the initial shock is kind of like with fresh, like you and Quinn, when I watched it with you, you guys were enjoying a lot about it, but I just was like, Oh my God. (laughs) So I think sometimes a second viewing might even make it better. Achoo! Achoo! (laughs) Just to give the audience a, (laughs) what's happening behind the mute. It was just coughing. Oh, up cough, along. cough. Um, <laughs> I'm sick. Also, I guess we should give a trigger warning for a dog death. Oh, yeah. Even though it's off camera. You um, hear anybody who plays a video game where you have to um, fight against wolves and you're like, why do they put the saddest puppy noises? That happens. Mom, it, you don't know about this, but this is an epidemic. Like... The most popular games, you have to fight a wolf. And then when you come, they're like, and it's like, you have to do that all the time. It's like, 
You have no choice but to fight them. It's not like you can just not kill them. They're attacking you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, the, I, th- I, it, uh. um, I, I was also just sidebar. I was also listening to a podcast today on a show that will, will, I mark my words. It will be in Quinn's top five. Oh. <laughs> um, it's a show on Apple TV called bad sisters. Mm. And it was, I think I think Sharon Horgan was one of the writers on the show, but Quinn loves Sharon Horgan, and I I do too. She's great. There is a kitten death in that show, and it's just so horrifying. But it's also not that it's funny, but like it it's so it's it's so shocking and horrible that you're almost like what? Do you see it on screen? No, no, I cannot. I honestly can't remember. I would, ju- I, I wouldn't know because I would have been like, ah! <laughs> which is one of those things with like you know animal deaths is like sometimes you fill it in and it's, you know it's even worse. Yeah. But anyway, so so Wohos, you know, I, I I think this movie is worthwhile. I would encourage Wohos to watch it if you if you can handle it, but you know, if these are, if these are subject matter, if this is subject matter that is going to be, is going to ruin your day, you know, don't watch this movie. Yeah. First, the first couple shots of the movie are just sort of like establishing this neighborhood, pretty poor neighborhood, lower, lower working class. Very washed out colors. Yes. And, And we meet the family, Liz and her, and her children. And they live in, um, Adelaide in a suburb called Salisbury. Okay. In North Carolina, we call it Salisbury. Salisbury. You can ask Salisbury. I've heard, I've heard also pronounced Salisbury. Okay. (laughs) Wait, in North Carolina or Australia? North Carolina. Oh, okay. Well, ask Ren how, how, how they pronounce. (laughs) I will. The, the Australian city name. Okay, this is based on a true story, and actually, in the movie, Jamie is 16 years old. In the real story, he was 13. So, Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's a little bit different. But Liz, who, honestly, <laughs> this is terrible. She has the worst taste in men, right? Oh, the, but maybe they're really <laughs> slim pickings. They might be the slimmest of pickings. But yeah, she does not know how to pick them. <laughs> Oh my god! I mean, her ex is like, and not to victim blame or anything like that, but I, I mean, as a mother and as a person with like, earlier in my life, I had, I had like supremely bad taste. I mean, but what if she, she, I really feel for her. She seems very poor, sick, and has like four kids. Um, yeah, and. I don't know. Does not seem like she's enjoying life at all. No, not at all. So in the beginning, she, she leaves her kids alone overnight with her current boyfriend who photographs the boys. And then um, we are to assume that he molests them because we just see him walk into frame at one point completely naked and sit down and eat a bowl of cereal or something. Very gross so, because we had just seen them eat breakfast, like this kind of weird vibe, but still like a typical family thing. And then he's sitting naked. It's just like, ugh. And this boyfriend lives like 
directly across the street. Right across from the her. street. I mean, it is a great uh, scene where she, like, not a lot is spelled out for you. But she, when she gets home, she runs over and just starts screaming and kicking him. And she's like, what did you do to my boys? Like, I'm going to kill you, you know. Like, obviously, a very intense reaction, which I think is very important for what th- this topic of, like, helping kids and stuff. It's it's so visceral it's such a it's such a thing that we should care about and it should be all of our concern is helping like making sure kids are safe and protected and it's that love and that want to help others is so predated upon by people with like super harmful rhetoric and i did the way it, it plays out in this movie it's just it's so real well the police don't they're not very interested in getting involved. And so the neighborhood sort of comes together um, to try to figure out a plan about what to do about this guy. So Liz is contacted by Barry, who is gay, and he also is a cross-dresser. Is that um, I term? I honestly don't know how this character would have identified, but I mean, he's... He, he's gay. He's gay and he wears like, you know, like we, we first see him in this amazing outfit of like this pink fluffy like shirt with like a pink fluffy bag. What I think is amazing about him is like this does feel like such a conservative environment and it is kind of yeah. like a breath of fresh air to see him. Like he's so unafraid. Like. Right. Um, but. <laughs> he's problematic though yes which we'll get to in a little bit yeah but but i mean at, when we first meet him it is kind of like is, he's kind of yeah stark. it stands out because yes he's such he's so he's so different than the rest of the neighborhood he barry introduces the mom to this guy john who is john bunting who is like australia's most famous and Worst serial killer. The man who's play who plays him. Oh, amazing! Amazing. Talk about like eye acting. Like this man mm. acted so much with his eyes in this film. Like I was reading Roger Ebert's review, which was really really good, and they were t- just talking about like his glittering like beady eyes, and it's true. Like that's a perfect way to describe it, and. He has this charm and this charisma that we know not to trust, but I can totally see how people in a vulnerable position would cling to something like that, who's presenting to you as like, look, I'll be your rock. Yes. Um, He's super cute. And also the actor looks a lot like John Bunting, which I mean, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't. They don't. He doesn't have to, but I just think it's kind of it's kind of interesting. He is cute and he is charming. He has very strong feelings against pedophiles, great, and also homosexuals who he thinks are the same. Yes, and this is kind of like what I was like talking about with like he is like like immediately pulls in Jamie, who's you know in the movie sixteen. And immediately starts being like, you know, they're they're trying to have like, like, uh, like 
gay people as like teachers in school. Like, what what do you think about that? And he's like pressuring this kid to be like, uh, I don't like it. And he's like, what do you think we should do to him? Uh, I don't know, kill him. Like, and just everybody's like, yeah, you know. And Barry also is just sitting right there. Like, yes. it's so, which honestly makes me like, that's probably why he acts the problematic ways that he does a little bit. Like, yeah, it's, he, he says in that moment, he goes, well, maybe, maybe some of them already know what they like. As if, as if homosexuals and pedophiles are the same. Which is just not true. Which is not, but it's, so it's, a, and then everyone's like, shut up, Barry. So it's like, is he joking? Is he serious? Like, why did he say that? And, but also to be a gay man <laughs> at this table, you know, where everybody hates pedophiles, but they're equated, you know, with, it's just like, what are you supposed to say in that moment? Yeah. And yeah, I just, I just think anybody, if you ever get presented some extreme rhetoric that's all tied around helping kids, honestly, like be very wary because it's like everything mm. that they're saying about like trans people now, all the trans people in the past too, and like gay people forever of just like, we, well, I mean, we're doing this to protect the kids, you know, mm-hmm. they don't care. They don't care, but they're using your, and, and, Cause then anytime anybody brings up like, well, is that a bit extreme? It's like, oh, so you don't, you don't care about kids? Oh, so you want them to get hurt? It's like, no. (laughs) So Barry tells John the names and addresses of pedophiles in the area. And John creates this wall, like in this incredible wall with these pictures and the details about all of them. And the wall is so scary because it's got the yarn and everything. And it's got like gonna circles, get you. like, yeah, going to get you coming for you, you, you like, just like these very scary, uh, he's disturbing notes. Yeah. Completely. Barry's at the center of this web, yes! despite helping them. And it says close. I pa- it says closing in on you. Oh my God. That's so scary. Yeah. 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 So, but we, the, the, even though you know what the story is, or you can sort of see where the story's going, there's this part in the beginning of the movie that's really appealing. And that's the bonding that goes on between John and Jamie. And like, at one point, John shaves Jamie's head, and then Jamie shaves John's head. So they both have like, you know, this like closely cropped hair and John teaches Jamie how to ride a motorcycle and how to shoot a gun. And so it's all this sort of sweet male bonding that you would want from like a father figure, but that's how he's it's wrapped you. up. Exactly. It's all wrapped up in this really sad and, and, and disgusting stuff too. And he, essentially is grooming these kids mm-hmm. like it's not it, it's the only thing you could call it you know i think he is just as predatory yeah i mean how else are you going to get somebody as like inflamed as you are mm-hmm. you know to join your cause and be beholden you know, if you don't to get you. them 
that young. Yeah. So one of the most disturbing, one of the, one of the most disturbing scenes in the film is where John tries to get Jamie. Oh no. Sorry. I have to back up. Jamie has a half brother, Troy. Now at first I was very confused because there are two older boys. Yeah. I think one is called David and one's called Troy. Is that right? Yes. David's the, the half brother. Yes. And Troy's like a stepbrother. Maybe maybe David's the stepbrother. Troy's the half brother. In any case, yes. yeah. They're they're older, you know, than Jamie and the other boys in the family. And we see one scene where Troy wakes up Jamie. This will be important later. But he wakes up Jamie and proceeds to wrestle with him, gets him to the ground and rapes him. And it's all in one like static shot. And when I first saw that, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This can't be happening. Yeah. And Jamie, Jamie's posture is just one of surrender. So you understand that this is not the first time this has happened. Yeah. John knows that about Jamie. And so he encourages Jamie to shoot his, John's dog. He's like, and he's like, you're just going to take that. He's like, cause he, the first thing they're, they're eating and it's just like quiet little moment. And then he just says, do you enjoy getting fucked? And it's just so, it's so fucked up because it's like, yes, we should help, help this kid and, you know, get him safe in an area to process this. But it's just like, like, he just like blames him for, you know, not, he's like, he's like, because, you know, if you're just not doing anything, it seems like you like getting fucked. And it's like, whoa, that's the most fucked up thing. But of course it like, I don't know. It like, he's poisoning the mind of this, like, you know, yeah, especially now knowing that he was 13. I mean, I don't know how, obviously we don't know how exactly all their conversations played out, but like, it's just so sad. So he's like, you know, um, shoot the dog. Like, it's my dog. I don't give a fuck. But, you know, you should, you know, you should shoot this dog. Like, take control. And Jamie is like, no, I, I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. But he's bullied into shooting the dog. Doesn't kill the dog. Um, and this is all off screen. But um, you hear the whimpers. It's pretty horrible. So <laughs> John gets the ex-boyfriend, I guess you could call him, um, to move out of town by engaging in some really, really abusive behavior toward this guy, um, which also is sort of a bonding <laughs> he rubs up the motorcycle like right outside and then teaches them how to ride the motorcycle. And then he's like, hey, help me. um." chop up all these kangaroos <laughs> and puts the kangaroo parts and the guts and everything into these buckets. He's like, bring that bucket with you. And, um, just like slops the bucket of kangaroo parts all over this guy's front yard. Yeah. And 
<laughs> and um, sofa, which is right outside. Somebody had written something, I think, in Letterboxd or something like Australia, where all the sofas are anywhere but the front room <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, so the guy, and then the next scene you see is the guys like loading up his trailer and like, you know, getting the fuck out of Dodge. So Barry has a boyfriend, Robert. Wait, I never is Robert gay. I've never really, I I never picked up on that. I saw that also in like a plot summary, but I don't think he was. I think Robert hung around with Barry. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But um, basically, John. Barry and Robert are sort of like, like the leaders of this sort of cavalry that's being formed. And everybody is really behind this whole mission to get rid of the pedophiles. Troy, however, is not digging this vibe. Um, so that, that will come into play later. Barry disappears then. But we, we hear this message from him that he's going yes. to Queensland. Yes. He's, he's just skipping town. This, this is one of the things when I first saw this movie, I don't, I think I saw it maybe, I don't know, 2015 or something. It wasn't right when it came out, but this is the thing that I remember are these recordings. Yes. I mean, I remember this, I remember the bathtub scene, but I also remember these recordings and these are just really haunting to me once you understand yeah, th- this, you know, the context. The Barry one especially is one that it hits you later and you're like, oh my God, you know, because you know something's kind of not right because like he's acting very aggressively towards Barry too, like takes his food away at one point before he's done eating. Yeah. We saw him with his, you know, fucking weird conspiracy theory board and, you know, it at these like big like dinners where all these people are in this room also the sound design is so good because when all yes. of them are yelling it like at this dinner table like it, that is how it sounds when there's a bunch of people yelling at it and it's horrible to listen to um but yeah he's like getting people to like you know be like oh fuck you you know so it's believable that he would leave We also know that Jamie has a friend who is um, a drug addict and John comes along on a visit and he doesn't like, John does not like Gavin at all because of his drug use. When we see them together, it's like really one of the only times you see Jamie look happy. Like there's, there's like Jamie was like, not Jamie, John was digging this huge pit for like a bomb shelter and yeah, sure. Yeah. John, sure. And they're just sitting in it, drink or smoking out of this like bottle bong, and it's one of the sweetest moments in the movie. So, but at one point, John takes Jamie with Robert out to the shed to show him the bodies of Barry and Gavin. Gavin looks just like a recently deceased like person. He just, like, and the scene is so good because John just kind of like, like, just, just like, you you want to come, come with me, you know, and brings him in and he just like bends down and lifts up this tarp and there's just his dead body and like yeah. looks at him and just is staring at him, you know, and Jamie's obviously like, we just see, this actor is so good. The actor, like his, like, not saying much, but just we see the horror across his face, and then he goes over to a barrel. And he's like, "Well, do you want to see Barry?" And that's when 
Jamie leaves and vomits um, and completely explodes. And he's like, he was my friend. It's so sad. And John's like, no, he was a junkie. He was a drug addict. Like he, he was a you waste. Know, he, he's justifying, you know, killing this guy. And Jamie is just like devastated. I should say that the um, these murders are called the Snowtown murders, but also the bodies in barrels murders. And that's because it's so, another layer <laughs> of just man, Aussie people. Like what the fuck, man? Not that we don't have our own <laughs> fucked up killers. Don't get me wrong. I just, but to call something the bodies in barrels. I mean, it must have just been such know. a shock. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure. So then we get the scene with Troy and God, again, it's one of these things where John is like, Hey, Jamie, um, come on. And Robert's on one side of the bed and Troy's asleep and John's on the other side of the bed. And they're just sort of waiting for a minute. And then they wake up Troy and they just rush him and they get him into the bathroom and they torture and they kill him. Now, this scene... What? Uh, yeah. One thing that's great... What? Great about it is Jamie excuses himself for a second. And he goes outside. I think it's raining a little bit. There are some birds that we see across the sky. There are these kids I I love bikes. that. We're, and just... Because... <sighs> What I think is so great about this movie is how they capture Jamie because he's he's powerless, you know? Like, what is he going to do? He doesn't know anything. His whole, like, his childhood thus far has been very fucked up with, like, very little direction. And then you have somebody who you finally are, like, at one point, like, like uh, John and his mom have a fight and he goes to his mom. He says, don't fuck this up, mom. Oh my, but, but for him, he's like, this is, you know, this is the kind of like stability and like family we are looking for. And then at the same time, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to hurt. And I just think that's what's so good about something like this is like, even everything that Troy's like done to him, it's like, he's like, doesn't want to kill him, you know, and doesn't want this torture to be happening. And then you know, he goes outside and looks at just all these kids being like carefree. And it's like, he's a kid. Like, he should be. And like, nobody would know that that's happening. And I just feel like that's also, such a powerful moment. That's, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's like, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've had this fascination myself. <laughs> Like for years, like but when I was younger, I used to ride my bike all the time. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, there are so many people in this world. There's probably some fucked up shit going on. <laughs> Maybe it's in that house. Maybe it's in that house. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, and that moment where Jamie is on the porch and these little kids across the street are just like being kids and, uh, and that there's this fucked up shit going on that they would never have any idea about. It would never cross their minds to think that there's anything like that going on. And it's, horrifying to me (laughs) um but anyway when he goes back inside they are strangling troy but not but (sighs) it's the scene is like john is watching 
at what's that guy Robert as yeah Rob, his, like yeah his little goon is um like choking Troy with like a belt and like John is just so up close to Troy and looking at him in his eyes and then he tells him to stop you know like stop choking him and and Troy's like covered in blood you know like beyond recognition and it's just over and over and it goes on for so long so long you're just like come on and jamie is just like what are you doing and so he 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 finally mercifully strangles troy to death yeah. um and we see um before troy dies john goes to him with a tape recorder and uh you know tells him like mom i'm leaving like, I don't want to live here anymore. And he's just repeating it. Cause like, what else is he going to do? And we find, we realize that those tape recordings are John's way of getting people to not look for them. And so Barry's that we heard before was yeah. that. And it's so chilling to think like knowing how much torture then we've seen like Troy go through every time that we hear a tape recording again, because then we hear one from Gavin mm -hmm. and it's just like, so I don't know. That's something that will stay with you. The one that really got me the one that like was in my memory from the first time I watched it is from the white. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Because she's this, um, she's a bigger lady. She's married to this guy who's like, corpse thin. <laughs> He's very um, and he confesses that he she was riding him and saying that i don't know he wasn't a man and he goes well if i'm not a man then how come i can bury people so she knows that he he's part of this this team of people who are killing people so she knows mm -hmm. but he's saying to john oh she's not gonna she's say not gonna anything. tell so then we get a recording from her. And they have kids. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's really rough. So the end of, I don't know, is there anything else I, that I was going to point out? Talk about? There's yeah. just so many scenes where that really, you know, the opening scenes of, you know, the, the boyfriend, um, you know, hurting the, the boys. We see those like paralleled multiple times in the movie from John. Like, there's a moment where Alex, one of the younger, not the youngest, but the next to youngest, he's, John's just sitting there watching him as he's making Alex hold these cinder blocks, wearing a dress, like, standing on this chair. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what? That's, that's so fucked up, you know? And it's the same energy as the beginning. Um and there's another moment where he's not with Verna, but he's with this other um, bigger woman. Um, and she just like disrobes in front of him. And he's like, turn right. around. And it just sounds exactly like the boyfriend in the beginning. And I, I, I love right. this because it's like, like, he is just as predatory. You know, he doesn't care about children. None of these people who come at it from this perspective, like, yeah, we got to kill him, you know, and this like McCarthyism of like finding out who it is. It's like those people do, they just want an excuse to kill people. And you, and if you like succumb to their like brainwashing, 
You're just giving them a leeway to be a horrible person. They don't care about children, you know? They just care about power, and they're just exerting it in a different way. And I I do hate Liz, the mother, but I also really love the moment where she's dancing with Sean, Mm -hmm. like at this hall. It's just, it's sweet, you know? And he's a monster, but to her, you know, he, he's strong, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's, and he's, he's providing, I guess, discipline to her boys that they need and this sort of figure that they need that she, she can't, she can't be. So that, that is also, okay. I just got a little sick. Like my stomach just was like, oh, because it's, it's, it's so twisted the portrayal of these people is so fucked up. I mean, I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> I hate them. But I feel for her, if I can let myself feel sympathy for her, I do. Um, you know, it's not easy to be a single mom. You know, and it, it's not it's not easy to be poor. I get it. But I, yeah. So these these seem like real people. Yes, for sure. I guess I guess that's what I'm trying and to that's say. That's what's re- yeah, really sickening about it is that everything is played so well and I looked into like the actual murders and it's so fucked up cuz the guy John Bunting, he cites having been molested as a kid um by a by a man and it's just like It's just like so tough because what we just need is to just like, I I don't know. It's just all of it is so fucked up to where I could see how somebody's very painful real lived experience could begin setting them off on a path of like extreme hatred and stuff. At the same time, it's like, you're wrong, though. Like. I I think that's that like that scene with that scene with Jamie and Troy is is that. Yes. Because for a second Jamie is like good. Yeah. But then he's like I can't take this, but also I'm not going to stop it. Yeah. You know, so I and I think when when you when you can the anger and the sadness, the deep betrayal that you feel when you've suffered that kind of an abuse is like, it's so painful. You can't even get your mind around it. And yeah, I mean, it, it's just the director and the, and the writer just capture and the, and the actor just capture that all so well. And I don't know what she knew. I don't know what Liz knew. Yeah. She probably knew a lot. That's what I'm guessing. But what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, they they hurt your babies. Yeah. You know, or they could. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do in that case? You can't just let that happen. Yeah. And that, the whole energy too of just that community also was just like, well, we have to, you know, it's very like easy to see how like a hive mind could get started. 
So I didn't, I didn't go that deep into like, like the order of the deaths or anything, but in terms of the movie, it seems like he starts with the people he's identified as the threat, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of spills into anybody more. Yeah, basically anybody. Um, case in point, the wife. And there's also, um, like at one point, I guess Jamie, like he's trying to get Jamie to pick somebody to kill. And they just find this kid who, like, oh, I, I don't shit. know exactly like what he is supposed to have, but Jamie describes him in the outdated term as a spastic. And what, like, when it's so sad because, like, you know, they obviously just go to this kid's house. And when I say kid, he's like maybe like a teenager or like maybe early 20s, but just like developmentally like younger. Um, but he has all these snakes and he's, just keeps he's like isn't this cool jamie you know like it's and he shows them though he's like this snake you know i get these mice and feed it to them so then we get this great shot of him dangling a mouse and then you know and then of course we are led to believe obviously that they killed him and like john says to jamie before he's like it doesn't matter like nobody's gonna miss miss him him. it doesn't matter oh but also yeah, they also get into this thing where they're basically targeting people who, quote, won't be missed, but who receive government checks. Mm. And then Jamie, like, adopts the identity of these people so they can draw this money. So, yeah, it it, it does not, you know, the mission gets perverted no, pretty This is quickly. just a killer who is yeah. <laughs> just wants to kill. Exactly. So... The last scene is Jamie lures his half-brother, step-brother, whatever, Dave, mm-hmm. um, to this abandoned bank in Snowtown. And the drive is long. <laughs> it's quite far and away. And they get a beer on the way. And yes, they stop and get a beer. Um, the scenery, again, is really beautiful. But it's it's kind of a... Uh, a long drawn out shot there when when Dave gets to the bank and he's like, "Oh, hey, John! Like, what are you doing here?" And the last shot is Jamie just closing the door to the bank, sealing Dave's fate, and um, we know that we know that the bodies were were stored in this bank and in, in these barrels, right? Um, and that's why they call the Snowtown murders. And one interesting thing about the story is that John Bunting himself had no sense of smell. What? So um, he, you know, the, the smell of these rotting bodies wouldn't have bothered him. Oh my at God. All. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> Really disgusting. Um, and also, I just want to point out David's crime, biggest crime against John was one time they were like eating at dinner, and like Liz's, like the the parents of Jamie or the dad, I'm guessing of Jamie was like eating over with David, and he's like, "Yeah, he's got this internship." Like, and John's like, "What shoes are what shoes are those?" And he's like, "Yeah, I got them. spent spent my first paycheck on them. What shoes are you wearing?" He's like, oh, I just call him cheap. Ha 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 ha. That sealed his fate. <laughs> you dead, kid. 
That was his crime. Like, it went from, we're going to stop, like, the pedophiles to, this guy looked at me funny. (laughs) Yeah, basically, yeah. So, the captions at the end reveal that the South Australia police discovered the remains of eight people stored in the barrels in the bank vault of Snowtown on 20 May 1999. And the following day, John Bunting and Robert Wagner were arrested. Um, Jamie was also, I believe, arrested. Do you know what happened to him? Yeah, Yeah. he was taken to like an undisclosed, like he's, his identity is actually like not known, I think, because they were protecting him and they don't know what to do with him still. He's in his, they, they picked a date for when they're going to decide what to do with him. But I think he's like in his forties now. Well, okay, if this was 1999, that was 23 years ago. If he was 14, yeah, he would be 37. Yeah. Um, Yeah, what do you do with a 14-year-old who has killed at least, well, he killed Troy. He killed the snake boy. What Um, do you do? Yeah, what do you do with somebody like that? And that is, it's an interesting rabbit hole if you ever get into it of like, I mean, it's really fucked up, but I do think from a legal or, you know, how our judicial system's fucked up already. So there's that. But if you can, I imagine being in that position and being like, what do, what do I do with this? Like, we never thought something like this would happen. You know, when you look at the story, it makes total sense. And, you know, yeah. The, the, it did say that they did recognize that Bunting was the ringleader of everybody. They still got everybody else still got charged, but I think they made that distinction of like maybe yeah. they wouldn't have necessarily gotten into this without this guy. One thing that is still is like it relates to the other movie that I know of that this writer director team made, which is um, Nitram. Um, and the guy in that case killed 35 people Jesus. and he got 35 life sentences. Wow. <laughs> so you just, yeah, you're never leaving. Yeah. But I just kind of love that. I mean, it's just so absurdly poetic, yeah. I guess. It's just like, okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, trivia? Let's, let's go for it. <laughs> Director Justin Kurzel told Lucas Pitaway, who that's Jamie, not to talk much to any of the actors on set to help the emotional state of his character. Okay. I mean, this is not the torture that we've seen from directors, you know, toward, toward, uh, you know, uh, female actors, but I'm just like, why? Why? Do you understand that? What do you mean? Telling him not to talk to? To to sit, to don't, don't talk to anybody. Maybe. No, I don't know. I think sometimes people who do stuff like this are like kind of smelling their own farts a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel Henshaw, who plays John lived in the Snowtown area for six weeks in a hotel and got to know the locals to help develop. That makes sense. That makes sense. But to be like, Hey, don't talk to anybody. (laughs) So dumb. It was Justin's first movie, I believe. So, the number Jamie dials on the phone is 000, also known as triple zero, and is the primary emergency number in Australia. Oh. Hmm. 
The last scene to be shot was Jamie shooting the dog. Interesting. The dinner scene. It is always neat mm-hmm. to know, who, like, you know, imagine them rapping like, well, they, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Great job, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Ringing a bell, <laughs> serving done. cake, like that. <laughs> what phobia is that, Mac? Cagorophobia. Fear of kangaroos. I have it. <laughs> I mean, have you? You have a fear of kangaroos? Not really, but have you seen those things? They, they always are, look like they they're are. prepared to fuck you up. Like they're like they will. They're fuck like you, you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> um, can we skip the questions this yeah. time? Although, I mean, I think we might have mentioned it. Although it might have been part of the part that I cut out. But would we watch it again? Yes. Yes. I would watch it again. I think it's a well-made movie. Not today. Yeah. Not anytime <laughs> it soon. It is well-made. No, uh, <laughs> but it's it's good. I, I don't know when I'm going to be in the mood to watch it again, but and I but I uh, I would watch it again. It's not the kind of thing where I'm like It's kind of like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer where it's just like that's a well, that's a well-made movie. It's good. Uh, maybe talk to me in a decade. <laughs> but then yeah. I'll be like, wow, it's a great movie. Wait another decade. Yeah. What does Letterboxd have to say about it? River 2012? That's 2002, Mom. That person was born in 2002. I'm sorry. Isn't that weird? (laughs) Yeah, they're, well, they're 20. I finally understand that lyric from Jonathan Colton. I can't believe there are people born (laughs) in the 90s. I used to be like, yeah, well, that's me. But now I feel that way about 2000s. I can't believe there are people who could be born in the 90s. <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes? Maybe. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. But I feel that way whenever I see somebody with like, yeah, River 2003, I'm like, what? But they would be in there. No, they that- would be not a minor either. <laughs> I started doing this in my classroom. I'm like, okay, you guys, you guys born in like. You're born in the 2000s, right? Like, you know, just to get a beat on, like, who am I fucking talking to here? (laughs) I have one kid who's 30. Okay. No, one out of, what? how many people do I teach? 90? (laughs) But anyway. River says, I had to stop watching after he killed the dog. Okay. That's that's pretty early. I mean, if you couldn't handle that, you couldn't handle the rest of it. No. (laughs) <laughs> True. Jack gave it one star. Genuinely homophobic. I do believe that was the point. I think, Jack, you'll find. Abraham gave it one star. I couldn't tell what was going on. That's honestly on. fair. I did have to look up on Wikipedia. Fair? No, it is fair. I think, and 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 I do kind of find it frustrating sometimes when you have to do a little bit of outside research. I think you could get it if you are paying very close attention. But it's hard. But it's hard. <laughs> I totally, I get that. Um, May Suichi gave it five stars. Watching this movie while it was raining outside is one of the best experiences that I had. This movie is disturbing, unsettling, brutal, and you may find it weird, but for some reason I think it's kind of dreamy. Like I'm having a weird gloomy night. I think so. The color palette. I think so yeah. too. Is very, um, yeah. Katakuri for L, <laughs> give it five stars. 
From someone relatively deep in the disturbing movie scene, this is hands down one of the hardest movies I've ever had to force myself through. Even when I watched this with a friend, it was borderline unwatchable and required breaks to finish. Still, it accomplished what it wanted to perfectly. That's perf- That's a great review. Brayden gave it five stars. We get it, Justin. You're a great filmmaker. Chill. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Something completely completely different. (laughs) (laughs) I do think this this movie you could classify as more upbeat. (laughs) There's laughter in it. Oh, sure. So this is The Sacrament. It was released September 3rd, 2013 at the Venice Film Festival. Written and directed by Mr. Ty West. Very big right now. So brief plot summary. Matt Ty West, he's so hot right now. <laughs> um, a news team trails a man as he travels into the world of Eden Parish to find his missing sister, where it becomes apparent that this paradise may not be as it seems. I think it's very important to point out also that they <laughs> are like named as Vice. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why that's so like funny to me of like they didn't try to make a fake, you know, they're just like, no, we're Vice. <laughs> Um, this stars Joe Swanberg, AJ Bowen, Ken Tucker Audley, <laughs> great name, pretty odd, Amy Simetz, and the true star of the show, oh, Gene Jones. I want to talk to Gene Jones on this podcast. He seems like he is the most large Southern man of all time. Oh, like, yeah. I'm not saying he's the most large. I'm just saying <laughs> of that archetype, he is the most like. The most. Um, you might remember him from No Country for Old Men mm-hmm. in the great scene with, uh, what's his name? The guy? But his character, yeah. Anton Sugar. Yeah, where Anton, he's he's playing as like a gas station attendant and Anton asks him to, to pick a side for flipping a coin. But he is the big star here. So let's get into it. We begin with Patrick, who is a fashion photographer for Vice. He receives a letter from his sister, who is a recovering addict named Caroline. And she's all like, hey, come visit me at this utopian drug-free community that I'm living in. Um, it's uh, called Eden Parish. And so he goes to inv- – he, he's investigating it more because he hasn't heard from his sister in forever. And the last time he talked to her, you know, she was – had a lot of problems with addiction And so he discovers that they have moved to a secluded compound only accessible by helicopter located in what Sam only calls a remote part of the world. So Patrick's co-workers, who are a reporter, uh, Sam and cameraman Jake, they're all over this. They're like, well, we need to come with you. Uh, Jake suggests a feature documentary and um, they... They're kind of, you know, he's all like, you know, we've gone to very dangerous places in the world. So, you know, we're, we're ready for something like this. 
And so they go on the helicopter and the pilot tells them, hey, the next day, if you're not here by 8 a.m., I'm leaving with or without you. So you better be here. And they're like, okay. And they're greeted by a bunch of guys holding AKs. And they're kind of like, hmm, um, why? And they're very intimidated because also the guys are like, well, stop filming. Who is this? You know, why are these other two guys here? Because they didn't tell them. Great. <laughs> That's not a good idea, guys. You're going to a secluded compound. You need to RSVP. <laughs> um, so they are taken aback and they contact father, who is the leader of this compound, and their entrance is authorized. So they go on this little car and all of them are a little bit visibly shaken, like, uh, okay. And so the so they begin they begin to kind of regret coming here a little bit and they're all pretty freaked out, but um Patrick's sister appears and everything gets smoothed over and she's like, Oh, we just need, you know, we just need protection. Um, she's like, Thanks, guys, you know. <laughs> she's like, you know, you guys, you guys are good, you know, really trying to sell them. And so she's, you know, so sorry for the misunderstanding. And she takes Patrick with her and gives them a cabin. And the the actual compound, it's a very think of like a great value midsummer compound. Like <laughs> very, very big plain cabins, you know, not not as uh developed, but it on paper, it does sound like everything I've ever dreamed of, to be honest. Like whenever I think of how society would be better, it is like everything that this appears to be, mm -hmm. which is because they being, uh, you know, um, Jake and Sam, you know, they're told by Caroline, like, you know, people had to move out of here. So I, I know it's not much, but, you know, you'll you'll find people say it's the best sleep of their life. And so they go out to try to talk to some of the locals and all of them are pretty much saying the same thing, which is like, I, you know, was hopeless, had nothing left, and that I met father and he gave me, you know, a real sense of like purpose, gave up everything I had, came out here. We have a community where we work together. We we worked to build this whole place. And um, you know, there's a great scene where uh they're playing basketball with these two guys. And, you know, both of them are like, you know, we grew up poor and, um, but this is how we should be living, you know? Um, and in a way, again, on paper, I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, living in a place where you're with a community and you know everybody and you're all working towards a common goal and you can still enjoy recreational activities, but like when you do work, it's for the betterment of it. Like, that sounds amazing. So actually, they're also kind of starting to be like, okay, you know, this is, they're a little bit skeptical still, but they're like, yeah, okay. They do see uh, a woman, this little girl appears at their cabin and they're like, oh, hey, like, you know, what, what's going on? And the mom's like, oh, we, we, we can't talk to outsiders. So, and so they're kind of like, oh, okay. They do find the the commune's nurse, Wendy, who reveals that there have been lots of kids born there. There are children and old people there and that they have, you know, a very robust medical facility and that everything that they have, they have because everybody who came to the commune sold all of their possessions and donated them 
to help build this. I think it's mostly old people, though, isn't it? I mean, isn't it like sixty percent skew? Yeah, yeah, it skews a lot more towards old people because I, I feel like we get the sense that this group has been around actually for a very long time. Okay, because one of the women that we meet, um, this older black woman who she kind of like has. Like one of her eyes is discolored. I don't remember her name. That's like how I remember identifying her. Like father refers to her as like being like those who have been with us from the beginning. Okay. So I, that me, leads me to assume maybe, but we don't know. That would, I would say would be the biggest thing I dislike about this movie is I want to know more mm-hmm. and I don't know enough. <laughs> um. So yeah, the the filmmakers are kind of like, you know, that medical center seemed nice, but there's no way that, you know, it is going to cut it for all these old people. Because also they don't have any new supplies coming in, which I definitely clocked immediately. I was like, that's bizarre. So you only have enough up to a certain point, huh? I, um, oh, see, you are smart. I didn't catch that one. <laughs> I I was kind of hung up on the old people because I, was, I wasn't thinking this is a long established church. I was thinking, get them when they're old. They got a bunch which, of shit that they can unload and they don't have, what else are yeah, they going to do? Have, go into a home? Yeah, that's fair. And it seems that the other people that they found were young people who like, I mean, like Caroline, the sister, uh, an addict or, you know, people who are just really directionless, like a cult. I mean, um, prime fodder for a cult. Vulnerable people, give them a set. We just like the Snowtown. So, uh, Jake, of course, wants an interview. Caroline arranges an interview and, oh, sorry, Sam uh, is the one who's going to interview. He prepares a list of questions. But then we find out Father's only going to do it uh, when they're having this big celebration that they're there. So in front of the whole fucking parish, you know, and which is definitely a different environment. If you're talking to a a religious leader in front of his followers, I don't think you can be, because first Jake asks like, are you going to get him? He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to hit him with the tough questions, but (laughs) you you can't. You're sick. You're in a secluded compound. There's guys with AKs. You're surrounded by all of his followers. So of course it kind of puts a bit of a, it skews his plans. But also, so, I wanted to point out when the, when Father makes the announcement, I think that or mm-hmm. somebody makes the announcement, you know, come to the come to the tabernacle at mm-hmm. sundown. Attendance is required. I was like, oh, hmm. okay. Not really. Uh, so if I just want a little night in. Little, no, I gotta come. Okay, a little, just a little threat. You know, I mean, it's not that 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 serious but i was just like good writing right because it's sort of like wait required <laughs> there's a lot of subtle things that mm. they put in there that lets you kind of be like oh, okay okay so then we meet father we've heard him over the speaker but we meet him and as we said before gene jones who plays father is uh st- just picture right now an old man an old Southern man who is a larger man, and you've you've just pictured Gene Jones. A he's good old boy. These, he's got these a good old boy, you know. He 
I mean, you just need to look up even just the way he talks. I can't describe it, but like everything he does, it's perfect for this role. This role is made for him. Also- And he's so charming. But his entrance is greeted with such applause. Yeah, it's like, whoa! And he's like, oh, you know- <laughs> Like a fucking rock star. I'm like- is he wearing sunglasses at that interview? Yeah. I feel like he is. He's so. always wearing sunglasses. So he's wearing his sunglasses at night and um, sits down and, you know, he's he's controlling the whole, like, you know, thing. Again, just like how this type of guy does. Like, you've just, we've all met this guy. Um, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, I agreed to do this. You know, he's talking to everybody, not just Sam. Um so Sam, you know, is kind of thrown off. And so his he begins to just like not really answer the questions at all. Um, like like Sam brings up, you know, we we heard a lot about people, you know, like welcoming us, but uh also, you know, you've got, you know, the guards and and you've got so we've been called outsiders, and father just keeps pushing it more towards like you're trying to skew this you know he's like you're gonna take the good things that we're doing and skew it. and again he's make he makes some points that i think we could all agree with where he, he starts you know kind of going a little bit on um a sermon like kind of being like you know we've all been hurt by like capitalism racism like all these things that are true, you yeah. know, and of course everybody, and I think the predominantly the parish is black. I feel like mostly when yeah. the camera settles on people, it is black people. And, you know, it's, he's like, you know, so we're, he's like, you, he's like, I'm, I don't even dislike you because I feel bad for you because you're so poisoned by the world that you all live in, that you see this, you know, he's just so good at spinning everything and, making everything come back to like, well, how could this not be good? You know? I really like the way this is photographed too, because Mm -hmm. he is talking to the congregation. So you really see him in profile and is it Sam? Sam. Yeah. Looking directly at him, but he's not making eye contact with Sam. He's looking away into the congregation. And at first I'm like, Ty, I mean, get him to look. I want to see his face. But it's important, right? Because he's talking to his flock Mm -hmm. and Sam has no choice but to look at him because he's seemingly interviewing him. Not really. But that was the the setup anyway. But I really like the way he did that. Yeah. And he's like... like yeah, every answer he has is at the the parish, you know, that's it. Um and he's kind of like also making fun of Sam a little bit. Yeah. Like kind of like, oh, like poor you, you know, skeezy reporter guy coming over here, messing up this good thing that we have, but we can't blame you. Bless your heart. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, he cuts it short very quickly and he's like, let's get this party started, basically. And everybody's like, yes, father. There is so, the one moment where he's like, um, I mean, you, you, you're a married man. You know, I see that ring oh, on your finger. Yes. And he's like, and I, you know, here you've got a baby on the way. And this is a great where they like kind of zoom in on Sam. He had mentioned earlier to the nurse, you know, oh, yeah, I've got a kid on the way. She's due. My my wife's due in like a month or something. Um, 
So not only is information getting around, but he kept that in his pocket. You know, he basically just silences him because he's so thrown off guard that then he's like, and you know, let's let's get this party started now. He is a master manipulator. Everybody, you know, there's a lot of music. It seems like everybody's having a good time. We even see the mom from earlier with her with her daughter, like like the, the mom like looks at her and is trying to clap along. So, and so actually Sam and Jake begin, oh yeah, and Patrick, we don't even see him. He's with these two (laughs) girls who are hanging on him. Very weird. But you know, it's just kind of fun. And Sam and Jake are actually starting to warm up a little bit. They're like, you know, the music is actually not that bad. And I like, you know, he's like, that was a little bit weird, but you know, it seems like everybody's happy. And then Savannah, the mute girl brings them a note and it just says, please help us. And so then, of course, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's pitch black outside. And the only lights, it's kind of like if you've ever been on like a campground, you know, it's like this huge wide field, pitch black, and the only lights are like, you know, at every so often, you know. I really like the way all of it looks. And so they try to find Patrick, and they find Caroline, who seems either high or drunk or something because she's just like oh he's you know he's off with these two girls i i was talking about him you know and they wanted to meet him and they're like well the threesomes don't seem very like i I don't know like does the church not frown upon that and she's like it's fine you know everybody just like relax have fun like having fun and they're like are you drunk but also she's like we need his money Mm. What? When did she say that? I think she says that here because they were. Just, they're like, this doesn't seem very Christian, like a threesome. And she's like, oh no, father signed off on it. So she's ah. like, we 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 wanted him to come out because you know we need his money, and so we thought, well, how can we get ah. him to like this place? Well, mm-hmm. if he has a threesome, then he's gonna you know mm-hmm. be more apt to give us this money that we want. So they're so, and they're just like, so yeah, what is happening here? And, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like, what, so what could this place be? And I think this is a good part that they have her be like this because like, like, and that's what makes me want to know more is why is she high or or drunk? You know, what is that part of the movie? Like we see it a little bit later with father, but it's like, I'm so interested in, what everything is behind the scenes. I don't think it's that complicated. I think it's like we were saying before, you take different people in the different states of being vulnerable. She's vulnerable because she's an addict. So, But it's like, how were the drugs getting dis- – like, I'm just so interested in this, like, who – because she also seems very close to father, and I was interested on in how all of that, you know, happened. Like, she seems particularly, oh. like – his helper and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But also there was this thing earlier where they wanted to meet with father and she's like, you'll meet him later. You know, he has a bit of a oh, stomach ache feeling right yeah, now. And then, well. and then later they're like, Oh, we, we heard that you weren't feeling well earlier. He goes, Oh, I'm fine. Like mm-hmm. he cuts that right off. And I thought that was like, did she not say that to father? Like, this is the story I'm going to tell them or like, I, I, yeah. 
So a little bit of that was a little bit confusing. I, I guess that's what I mean, though, is like I just wish a little bit I could get a peek, you know, more inside. So, yeah, they 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 discover that there is actually a group of people who don't, you know, want to be there. And they're asking if they can leave. And Jake is asking Sam, like, you know, please, come on, don't don't get involved. But Sam, you know, he's like he's like, we have to help some of them or something. We can't just leave them here. And this is like very interesting. Jake is just like, you know, that's not why we do this. You know, like, that's not why we're here. And I mean, on the one hand, I am like, what can they do? And on the other hand, I was like, (laughs) I was like interested in that comment a lot of like, so what other situations have you been in that you've been like, hey, not our job. (laughs) Do you know about the, um, no, I'm gonna, I don't know any of the names. This is a terrible example. But have you ever seen that really famous picture? This guy won a Pulitzer Prize for this picture. It's a toddler who is emaciated and just mm. like, you know, collapsed on yeah. the ground. And there's a vulture right behind yes. her. So the guy who shot that picture uh, got a Pulitzer Prize, but of course was criticized for not getting involved with the girl. And he said, well... After I shot the picture, I did chase the vulture off. Um, he also killed himself like three oh, months Jesus. after he won the prize. Oh, gosh. So there is something in journalistic ethics which says that you don't get involved with the subject. Um, you are there to take the picture, which is, I don't know. Is what, that what ethical? To, what to say about yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I yeah. think that's that's what they're referring to there. So it's getting late, though, and they're like, what the fuck are... I mean, all we can do is wait until the morning, but they can't sleep, so they just kind of wait out the night. So the next morning, they find that the dissidents are just straight up like, let us go. They have their suitcases packed, and they're like, we do not want to stay. And there's other people who are just like trying to calm them down. You know, they're like, no, no, like, you know, don't don't do that. Um, Sarah, who is the the mute girl's mother... Oh, I forgot to mention earlier... When they find the mother and they're and they they talk to her in the dark in the night, you know, she shows them like on the back of like her daughter's neck, she's been hurt a lot. And she's like, that's why she doesn't talk is because, you know, anybody who wants to who defies them gets abused or something, you know, so it's very bad. Um, So Sarah, uh, Savannah's mother is like, please just take her, you know, don't take me, at least take her and, and Jake, you know, or Sam, because, you know, we know he's, you know, got a baby on the way. He's like, yeah, we'll help her. Um, (laughs) so, so he sends Jake out to go try to talk to the, the helicopter. And meanwhile, while, uh, Sam's getting involved, he gets taken, um, Jake makes it to the pilot and the pilot's like, no. Um, but then suddenly he, the pilot gets shot. Yeah. So then we see Jake, we get some shaky cam action as Jake runs into the forest trying to avoid, um, you know, bullets. And there, there's kind of some tense scenes, you know, he hides at one point and like, we get this shot of, you know, then the guys are seeing, they're like, oh, I think I see him. And they go over and he's actually left the camera there. He circles back, gets the camera, goes back to the helicopter. And the pilot's like, still alive, bleeding, you know, all down. And he's like, grab your friends. We Get me into the chair. Grab your friends. We can, we can go. Back at the camp, you know, Sam's attempting to break up a fight. Guard gets him 
like cuts him with a knife. We just don't see him for a little bit. Big old machete. But yeah, huge machete. So Caroline is just like, you know, I knew you shouldn't have come here. Father was right. You know, you guys are trying to ruin us. So father convenes now. So everybody's uh, all of our players are kind of um, being subdued. So now we just have father talking to everybody. And he is basically classic, uh, you know, the Jim Jones uh, thing of telling everybody to drink. You know, we see people ladling. Uh, for, we see people just grabbing poison, just dumping it into this giant, you know, punch. People are pouring it into those, you know, those like retro little cups you see with like the blue Dixie mark? cup. Dixie cups, yeah. Um, they've got them in syringes, of course, to give them to the babies. Um, he says, you know, some of the children have already taken the potion. And we can see that the crowd is like not down. Like there are people who are crying, you know, and I just I love it because they still do it. But I think that is so real. The nuance to me of just like, what are they? Because guess what? There's guys with AKs, you know, you're dying either way tonight, you know, and and he's like, he's basically just telling them all. They're going to come here and they're going to kill all of us. They're going to come here with guns. They're going to kill all of us. So let's not succumb to them. You know, let's go peacefully and together. I mean, this is not true. Nobody's coming to kill them. He's the one who's got the people with the guns there. And we even hear at one point, Jake is getting chased. We hear one of the guys be like, why are we chasing him? Like, why are we chasing this guy? And the other guy goes, it's just what father said to do. Um, it's a very long drawn out scene with, you know, people emotional about taking this. One of the guys we were, was who was interviewed earlier kind of gets up and he's like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why do we have to do this? And he basically just kind of talks him down and his brother is like, come on, you know, just drink it. So everybody, we see people start drinking it again. There's like a great scene where there's a mother holding her baby who and the nurse comes over with the syringe and gives it to the baby and the mom just looks so like she wants to stop her but doesn't everybody starts taking the drinking the kool-aid and anyone who refuses is shot dead and the scene of people dying again is also very long and drawn out and it's horrible you know he lies to them and he's like it's not gonna hurt it's just a you know, quick you'll you know you could just go to sleep you know there won't be he just flat out lies because there is people are in pain. They're puking. They're convulsing. You know, it's horrible. And Patrick, then we see, is being held hostage in like, you know, the 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 command center of the camp. And Caroline, you know, is trying to get him to drink it and he you know, kicks it out of her hand. And so then she grabs a syringe and just quickly gets him in the neck. And I I think this scene is great because he, you know, she does it again. It's just like these people who you can tell, like they don't want to do it, but they feel like they have to be doing this. Like, I feel like Caroline doesn't want to kill her brother, but she's like, but I also have to right now. And she she holds him as he dies and he's just like, you know, it's really hard. He's like, I don't want to die. What did you do? You know, and slowly he just starts to die. So then we see Jake returning to the camp. Basically, everyone's dead, but there are still guards looking for people. 
This is one of the most Buckwild scenes that did feel like one of those, wouldn't this be fucked up if, because he goes back to a cabin to hide from the gunman and finds Savannah and Sarah. And he's like, oh, come, come here, hide under here. But Sarah takes a giant knife and cuts her daughter's throat. And then a guard comes in and kills Sarah. It's like, at that point, why not just, what would be better? I don't know, I guess. But that just felt so like, so you're the same as them. Like, this is the same logic. I don't know. Very bizarre. So, you know, he's like, what the fuck? Jake finds Caroline. She, he's like, you know, at least come with us. Come on, you know, come come with us. And she's like, no, you took everything I had. You know, these were my family. This was everything. Then she self-immolates, which is sadly one of the funniest moments to me because she pours herself in gasoline, takes a candle lighter that like- <laughs> no whoever has done that like i don't know like you couldn't give her a zippo like that would be so much cooler but she has a fucking can- click <laughs> with the tiniest little flame but, okay. and suddenly it's the biggest roaring flame you've ever okay, seen but also i mean right after the death of this child we get this scene and i'm like okay i, mean, I come on do we really need this too why did she do that? Why well, no, not just take the No, she had plenty of poison at her plenty. disposal. Because <laughs> then we see we see the nurse dead later, but there's an empty syringe on the ground. So I'm assuming she took the same thing. Why not do that? If you got to go, seems better than burning to death. Oh, that's, that's got to be me. one of the worst. I mean, aside from being flayed alive, like I think were... being burned alive is number two. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. Um, so Jake then finds uh, Sam and father. Sam's just bound to a chair. And I mean, at this point, I will say it kind of falls a little bit off the rails because I am a little bit like, what is happening? Um, <laughs> but father's just like, you know, one day you'll understand why it had to be this way. Not true. Um, then father <laughs> takes a gun and he kills himself. I do think that scene is pretty, it's pretty shocking and pretty... Yeah, because you don't know if he's going to shoot Sam or what's he going to do with that gun. So, yeah. yeah. And Sam and Jake make it back to the helicopter where somehow that, that pilot is still alive and they leave and they live. Also, there was one part where, like, Jake was, like, fucking doomed. And then one of the guys with the AK, like, shoots somebody oh. else and is like, go, go, go. Like, what? Like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, one of the guy, the guy who was like, you know... Why are we chasing him? That guy comes back and he's oh, like, okay. leave. Um, but well, still, it is kind of like a ex machina kind of like. Oh, yeah. Mm, all right. To me, it is like, this is what I think. I, I don't think you need all this craziness. To me, that scene with everybody dying from the from the poison is so fucked up. And that concept is already so fucked up. You don't need this. I also just, yeah, excellent point. I think that's absolutely right. Like this, the the actual case was in 78? I don't remember. It was in my lifetime. I remember it. I mean, I was Mm. a kid and the adults around me were like, what the fucking fuck? Like this is some fucked up shit that happened. And I just remember the adults being just like, I don't know. I, well, I don't know why people would do this. This is an insane thing that happened. And it's so, so sad. And 
the thing I was going to say before was there's one shot where somebody is pour, is stirring the the mm-hmm. juice. I'm like, who's shooting that film? Yeah, th- there were several moments like that where I was like, how did this shot get here? So that that's also pretty weird. At that point, I'm like, why not just make it not a shaky cam? Like, just why a not documentary. just make it a film? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I do think it falls a little bit. They, they kind of didn't need to do... They should have realized that what they had was already so fucked up. But what does Letterboxd have to say I about wonder. it? <laughs> well, we have a great first one at the gate. Carly gave it half a star and said, <laughs> how did this man make X and I saw the devil? Um, first off, he didn't. Carly. Um, I think you mean the house of the devil? Not every movie <laughs> with the devil in the title is. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you got so much wrong. Carly. I mean, I will say, I don't think it's that weird. Like, I do think that X and Pearl are better movies than this movie. Okay, this what year was this fucking movie made? More than 10 years ago, no? Yeah, like yeah, I come think on. This is, it's 2013 and also Eli okay. Roth was involved. So, I mean Well, he produced it. Thank God he was involved. This probably wouldn't have gotten made otherwise. I just I know you're not a fan. Not a fan. But he he was sort of like an angel investor. Like he just, you hmm. know, helped this to happen. I guess that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Geezer gave it a half star and said, Ty West can fuck all the way off. Okay, Geezer. You know, if if that's out of like a respect, you know, a little bit of like, you know, oh, he, that got me good. You can, but. (laughs) I don't think that's how he meant it because he only gave it a half. Okay. Brandy Stoddard gave it a half star and said, insulting, amoral. I don't think you mean amoral. I think you mean immoral. Amoral. Randy. A morsel of food. Um, <laughs> Haley gave it a half star and said, bargain bid midsummer. I don't think that's true. I guess I did make that no. comment earlier about it being well, great. About like, the- but to no. me, that makes sense, though. No, about about the structures. Yeah, the structures. Like... But this is not like Midsummer at all. No. Nowhere close. Because everybody, like... <laughs> it's a cult film. I mean, it's a it's cult film. It's about Jim Jones. Like, it's about Jim Jones, okay? like They're both about cults. But this is a death cult. And the Midsummerians aren't a They death sacrifice. Cult. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, no, they sacrifice people. No, but, no, but they sacrifice and they don't all die. Right, like, exactly. There's still it, a structure. That's like calling it Bargain Bin Wicker Man. Yeah, yeah. Not the same movie at all. Not at all. What do you thought? What the fuck? I'm sorry I didn't give you four-star reviews. There were highly starred reviews of this. Movie. Listen, the half stars, they were they they were working extra time because <laughs> they were so funny. <laughs> what uh what fear is that? Or phobia? Well, that's ecclesiophobia. Fear of the church, either the building itself or what the church represents. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living in the South and having ecclesiophobia, oh. the, but the kind where it's the fear of the building? Oh, you! I mean, you wouldn't be able to go outside. Exactly. You can't go down the street. <laughs> you can't swing a dead cow in a church. <laughs> 
wow, this trivia is very cool. Uh, that Gene Jones nailed his big interview scene in a single 17-minute take. What a king. He is He's king. so, he just seems Gene, amazing. Jones, we love you. We respect you. Please We're come on the podcast. You. Please come on the podcast. <laughs> we can't pay you except no. in friendship and in kindness. Our our dedication and loyalty to love. everything you are. Can and I can I say love? Absolutely, you can say love. <laughs> Gene, if you want to start a cult, we're your first two members. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm good, actually. <laughs> okay, we found max limit. Okay, that's no good offense, know. Gene. Well, yeah, no, being in a cult, <laughs> I'm the leader of the cult. Excuse I did have a very me? scary thought watching the Nexium documentary. I really did think this this might be too present. Like, listen, shoot me if you think this is too presumptuous. But I was like, if I was evil, <laughs> I think I could be a cult leader. Oh, I have no doubt. I think I could. Like, I think I, if I used my powers for evil, I could do it. I wouldn't. I but don't, I don't doubt that for a second. Thank you. <laughs> my mom I thinks that. I could lead a cult. <laughs> so I don't care about what you say. Um, the film was financed without a finished script. That's pretty baller. Speaking of baller, two retired members of the Harlem Globetrotters played background roles. Hell yeah. All the cabins were built for this movie. So you could say they were a little bit like Eden Parrish. In the film, Caroline is father's right hand and seemingly love affair. Coincidentally, Jim Jones had a mistress named Carol. Well, it's probably not a coincidence then. Probably not a coincidence at all. Probably Probably very intentional. (laughs) Especially like the point. I think you're using the room word coincidentally wrong. What is wrong a, with these? I mean, it's amoral. An amoral use of that word. <laughs> <laughs> if I do say so myself, it's agrammatical for sure. <laughs> Amy Simitz, Joe Swanberg, and AJ Bowen previously worked together on another horror movie, You're Next. I didn't recognize Love that, that movie. It's a great movie. We got to do that movie. We will. Okay. This is the second movie about the jungle that Eli Roth has been involved in. The first being The Green Inferno, which he directed. I think it was the same year, right? Or close to it? Maybe I don't know. 2011? I don't... I feel like it was sooner. But if it was the first, then it wasn't. But anyways... Who cares? Um, that movie is very offensive. Um, Wait, why? Oh, it's because... About, it's about the making of the cannibal holocaust, right? No, it's no, not at all. I wish. I wish. <laughs> it's a fictional movie about these people who go to this like indigenous camp and or this these indigenous peoples and of course they get, you know, sacrificed because that's what they do and murdered. And also there's just a really weird there's a really weird message in it anyways. Also a scene where somebody has to shit in a cage. And that's just something like, it's way makes it, choices. Wasn't that in, um, Oh no, you told me about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah, told me about that. Cause were, were a, we talking about the bone, 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 what's fucking it called? bone tomahawk? Yes. I think that movie is also offensive. 
I wouldn't be surprised if somebody was offended by it, but I think it does this better. What what Eli Roth was going for. Anyways, according to the film commentary, in the originally conceived ending, the helicopter pilot was not shot. Once the helicopter got to altitude, the pilot proclaimed, we must follow father's orders and crash the helicopter. Yeah, that was not good. I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> I know this looks like a repeat of, of what you just read, but it's different. Okay. The original conceived ending of this movie with the helicopter pilot committing suicide and killing everyone on board is very similar to one of the many plans Jim Jones' cult had to commit revolutionary suicide. One of Jones's mistresses took flying lessons and got her pilot's license in case they ever wanted to fill a plane up with people's temple members and crash it. That's so fucked up. So fucked up. Well, I think we should rate it in okay. um, Dixie Cups. Fuck. I would give I, it... I think this is a good movie, but it has a lot of problems. Three and a half Dixie Cups. I was gonna say the same! Twins! Oh my god, we're so smart. We could rate the other one. I didn't mean to, like, cut us off from oh, that. Oh, that's fine. You just had to go. I, it was just a lot, and I'm just yeah, like, yeah, I don't want to yeah. talk about our favorite scene, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. I mean, I I think, I think the, I think Snowtown is four and a half. Yeah, I was gonna say four and a half. Four four whole roos and one half of a roo. Oh Lord. <laughs> Sorry, I had to sneak one thing in there. <laughs> okay, the first time I saw that, and I know I know Aussie people have a different take on kangaroos. Oh, but you were like good. No, no, I wasn't <laughs> like good. I when I saw him doing that to those roos, I was like, that because I don't know, I think of them as like dogs they're not like dogs right they're they're yeah. much much worse than dogs mm -hmm. but i was just like how could you do that to a cute roux <laughs> but then he like dump, dumps it on the guy's like sofa and i'm I'd like move that too, is, honestly that is i would I'd nasty oh, I'd like, i'm sure. not cleaning that up no I'll, i it's fine if you don't give me my security deposit back <laughs> what have we learned oh lord well don't there drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Duh. <laughs> the Fool Award, everybody. <laughs> also, I just want to say, I don't know if this is like an asshole thing for me to say, but there are a lot of sober living <laughs> situations out there. If you're looking for a way to stay sober. <laughs> that aren't this. That aren't this. Well, this wasn't even sober living. I mean, I'm just sort of like, what did he do to her? I mean, See, I that's guess you what just I want. Got... One thing that drunks and addicts really do like, though, is control. Mm. So, and, and we do see him snorting coke later in the movie. Oh. Before, he, before he kills himself. Uh, <laughs> takes a big old snort. <laughs> uh. No, yeah. So three and a half for this one, four and a half for that one. What have we learned? Don't drink the Kool-Aid, obviously. Also, obviously. um I I mean I don't I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's 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 all believable. 
Like oh, the yeah. skepticism that they feel when they first get there and the guns and everything. And they're like, what the fuck? And then like two hours later, they're like, hey, All this right. is a pretty great place. That's how, that's how they get you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I was going to say trust your gut, but. Trust um, the first gut that you get. The first gut. You see AKs be like, actually, hey, cop, copter, take us. Let's go. If your sister says, come and visit me um, in this place where I can't really tell you exactly where it is, and you'll have to get to it via helicopter. helicopter. Say, no, no thanks. No. Actually, no. I think I'm good. Favorite scene and or death? Well, I mean, Jean Jones scene, showcase scene is pretty great. Mm-hmm. I think it's photographed great. He's his delivery is amazing, mm-hmm. and Bowen's acting too because he's mm. he's got to react, you know, to the, all this charisma, and he's frustrated, and then he's like taken in, and he's fascinated, and he's scared a little, and it's he does a really great job. I, I think agree. that one is the highlight for me. Same. Oh, cool. Um, so we done did it, eh? We done did it. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this episode and for all your support. It means the world of horror to us truly. Next time, it's Max Pick of Genre, and we will be looking at zombie movies. Watch Along Arojos can watch Train to Busan on Shudder and Peacock, and Night of the Living Dead on Prime, Paranormal Plus, or AMC Plus. For my next picks, we will be looking at movies about cults and watch-alongers can stream Kill List on AMC Plus, IFC, or Prime, and The Stepford Wives on Tubi. We also want to let you know to look out for some World of Foundational Horror shows coming up on The Haunting and Don't Look Now. I really will do these shows. I was sick. Now Quinn is sick. It's going to happen. We believe you. And it means World of Horror to Me shows on Last Night in Soho, and Bride of Chucky. And we're going to get the whole squad together for another end-of-the-year favorite watch show, and we will be getting some takes from our friends, too. Mac, what do you have going on? Well, I would invite you all to follow me on Instagram at thegayjimmybuffett because I post my art there. You can also follow me on Twitter for that at thegayjimmybart. And I also stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thegayjimmybuffett. And when is that, Matt? Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So when it's pitch black outside? Now, yes. Sadly. (laughs) (laughs) We would welcome your support in the form of a five-star review or thumbs up on your preferred listening platform and ask that you tell all your friends about us. Remember, Wohos, we love you. And don't go into the basement.